Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode five of the Downrange Podcast. I'm Cody, your host. Before we get to today's guest, we have a couple housekeeping items that we need to get up. First and foremost, as always, thank you so much for the positive feedback that I've been getting. If you have a message, if you have a story that you'd like to nominate, or if you'd just like to get in touch and talk about anything, you can reach me on social. That's at Cody McBride NLU or my email, Cody at nolayingup.com, and we can get it dialed in there. A lot of people have been asking for merchandise. So luckily, I've convinced the merch czar, Neil Schuster, that we are moving forward with some shirts. So we're going to start out with a couple tees and see where we can go from there. But something that I'm very, very excited about in hopes that we get something up for the holidays. So be on the lookout for that. And then lastly, if you caught my Instagram stories or the main NLU Instagram stories the last couple days, you know that I've been up in New York City watching the competition that is the Simpson Cup. Simpson Cup is a Ryder Cup style competition that matches 13 combat wounded veterans from the U.S. versus 13 combat wounded veterans from Great Britain. And it is as competitive as you can possibly be. And we're going to have a lot more about the Simpson Cup, its history, John Simpson, who founded it, the incredible gentleman that he is, in later episodes to include interviews with players. That's first why I was up there. The Simpson Cup would not be possible without first generous donations that individuals give to the Encourse Foundation as well as a club to host it. So kudos to the Creek Club up on Long Island, its membership, and a special thank you to Teddy for inviting me out there. Today's guest is Jared Murbitz. Jared is entering his 20th year working at NASA. Currently, he serves as a NASA LNO to SpaceX. So if you see any sort of launch, Jared has a role in it. Now, growing up as a kid, I dreamed about space. I didn't really know what was up there. I knew I looked up the stars every night in that big old Montana sky, but that was about it. Jared grew up on the Space Coast, and the shuttle program was a part of his everyday life. His dad worked there. All of his friends' parents worked there. And as a young kid, he dreamed of working there. Jared's story is about hard work, determination, having the right positive influences in your life, and never quitting when there's any sort of adversity thrown in your way. Jared's also an incredible husband, father to his kids, and a friend to everybody who knows him, willing to pick up the phone or throw you a text, no matter what time of day it is. This is Jared's story. Enjoy. Yeah, having a servant's heart um, started, I would say the first examples I realized it was my, my childhood. I had parents that I grew up, my father was Green Beret Special Forces, success was expected. And that was really the standard in the house. So I had things to do, but they, I would do them 
chores and whatnot out of like fear and to check the box. It wasn't a desire. Ultimately, going back to what I talked about earlier, uh, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. A friendship with a gentleman named Chris Johnson, who's the uh, praise and worship pastor at East Coast Christian Center, where I where we go to church. Uh, Chris was my first friend that I made when we moved to Florida uh, when my dad got a job at the Space Center. Chris had never been to church. Like he came to church with us for the first time when we were in like fourth grade, stayed at the house. Funny enough, like the way our paths and life went, um, Chris ultimately ended up becoming a pastor. And when my wife and I moved away, Chris and I, we weren't going to the same church. 10 years ago, we moved back to Merritt Island from a town um, over just to get back to the island because it's where I coached. You know, I worked for I worked at the Space Center, which is on Merritt Island. Everything, our, our friends, our family, everything was on the island. So it's like, let's get back. And so we got back and plugged into the church. And then, honestly, just getting plugged in, but spending more time with him and just watching him interact with people because when you're the worship pastor, you're like front and center on the stage every week, singing, giving people hope, giving people, you know, delivering God's message and and giving people something to focus on that's positive, that's going to give them a future. And after the service, like when he's tired and he's ready to go home, watching him make every person that comes up and talk to him feel like the most important person in the world. I was always blown away by that and sharpening me like I felt convicted. I'm like, when's the last time someone spoke to me that I made them feel like they were the most important person in the world? But even furthermore, when's the last time someone needed something from me or came to talk to me when that was the last thing I ever wanted to do? And then I followed through with it. And once again, I felt convicted again. And it just became one of those things where I found myself, you know, uh, spending more time with Chris in places like the church out in the community where I would be with him. People would come to talk to him. And by default, he'd bring me in. He'd introduce me. People would ask for prayer or for help and the practice it's like practice makes perfect, right? Like all new habits start with practicing something new and then staying dedicated to it. And so ultimately it became, it became like a heart change. It wasn't just mental. It became a, like a heart change of having a, of going from having a selfish heart to a servant's heart. And that change alone has helped my marriage has helped me as a father, has helped me as a coach, has helped me as a coworker, because not only am I looking in life at the things that I need to do on a daily basis, but I'm trying to help people around me. And when I'm on like my phone and I see friends and they're struggling or, or, or like a prayer request, I'm not trying to just do the, oh yeah, I'm praying for you. Like, like I'll, I'll try to reach out like and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, how can I help? Do you need financial help? Do you need physical help? Do you need um, spiritual help? Like whatever it is, it's just having a servant's heart, 
to promote those around you for success because at the end of the day um there's no there's no greater there's to me there's no greater thing than to seeing the people around you succeed in life like and maybe that comes from the team aspect like i know um in the time that you and i have spent together talking about what you do for a career like team team matters right like everyone has a job and everyone has a role and um, i think if we all spent a little more time focusing on what we can do for others instead of selfishly taking care of ourselves our our whole world would be a better place i'm Not talking to- about like simple fulfillment yeah of of life right yeah absolutely and people tend to take the the selfish or more individual aspect of that and say oh if i want to feel full fulfilled whatever it is i need to do this for myself mm-hmm. and not realizing that man if you just push that to the side for a second and maybe do some like normal acts of kindness for others right it'll be tenfold yeah and honestly that's where the whole i'm sure you've seen like our one of our recent shirts that we came out with with um our watch us roar brand uh says give them heaven on it it's funny that actually came from chris because we were my wife and i serve on our worship team i i play guitar she sings and through the talk back mic before service starts so we have like this countdown so 60 seconds you know we're doing clapping and there's some background music and everyone's getting into it and he'll talk to us through the talkback mic and he's like hey let's give him heaven you know and i was like the first time he said it i was like i see what you did there i'm like we should put that on a shirt one day and so we did it's great you know it's definitely a conversation starter but at the same time you see it and i i honestly like i wear it i wear it not just because it's our brand but dude i wear it everywhere i go because it holds me accountable especially in difficult situations like there was one time in particular where this hostess at a restaurant was straight up rude she was so rude to us and i'm wearing this shirt that says give them heaven and i sure wanted to give her hell in that moment but i spoke to her in a manner that almost seemed like compassion for her trying to do a job even though she wasn't doing well and it changed everything. Um, she actually ended up taking care of us and the situation was resolved. But it's a good question. Like, what do we do on a daily basis that holds us accountable for the things that we need to take care of in life? And uh, well, it's it's also hard to be empathetic. Yes. It's, it's a difficult task to master because no matter where you come from in life, Empathy is not necessarily something that is like taught or shown or anything else like that. That's right. That's real. That's super real. And I, you're right, dude. It's not easy. It's, it's super not easy, especially like I get tested, especially as a coach, you know, most kids you play against young kids in America, I would say like they're very, there's a cockiness there. Sportsmanship's out of the window. A lot of cases, not just with the kids, with the coaches, right? Like all children's poor behavior starts somewhere. Uh, a lot of those are learned and man, it's tough. And I tell my kids, right? Like when, if you, when you're in a situation and you can't, and when you're in a difficult situation and you can't positive, positively influence a change, 
that is going to help the situation, then the best thing for you to do is remove yourself from that situation because toxic toxicity spreads. I always, I'm like telling my kids one time, like, it's like when someone, it's like when you're in a room or even an elevator to make things worse, you know, someone, uh, passes some gas, you're kind of, you're stuck. <laughs> they started laughing. I always try to think of funny, uh, funny comparisons when I'm trying to, to teach a point to them just so, you know, keep, keep things lighthearted. Hi, Jared. So where'd Dude. you grow up at? Uh, so born in South Texas, McAllen, way down there at the bottom. Um, I tell people, people are like, where's McAllen? I'm like, it's practically Mexico. I feel like it's why Mexican food is my absolute favorite food ever. I could eat it all day, every day. But um, your true comfort food. Oh, man. Food. Yeah. It's also why I'm a big Cowboys fan. A lot of people don't like like that. But I'm like, look, at least I was born there. I'm not a bandwagon fan. The 90s are long <laughs> past. But yeah, I grew up in South Texas. Like I said, my father was a military guy. My parents moved us to Florida in 89 when my dad left the oil field. When my dad got out of the military, he went and got a chemistry degree, started working on oil rigs. Business was good, but towards the late 80s, early 90s, uh, a lot of companies were laying off, writing us on the wall. So he had a, he had a sister-in-law that worked at the Space Center. She said, hey, send me a resume, send me your degree. Let's see what we can do. And he got a job. And so we moved, we moved here in 89. I saw my first space shuttle launch standing on the top of a U-Haul truck on my 10th birthday. What a, what a candle, huh? Like seeing fire cut across the sky and not knowing what I'm looking at and then feeling the rumble and the percussion. And then my dad explaining the fact that I'm watching seven human lives fly to space on this spaceship. And I was just, blown away my entire childhood was really growing up on the space coast that's what we call this area like it was very much focused on um the space program which is which is ultimately my my passion for it and really started then that's kind of how i ended up choosing that career and working at the space center was just all because of a dad's desire to do what he could to provide the best opportunity for his family given a tough situation so so what did what did he do at the space center so he worked um at the time he worked for during the shuttle program um he worked for the the prime ground support contractor rockwell and his job he worked um so when you're doing processes and procedures there's a quality aspect of it and to make sure that um everything checks out to ensure that the right, that, that the parts are right, part numbers are right, processes are right across the board. And so he worked and making sure that the management of all of that was taking place, you know, did he enjoy it? He did. He loved it. Um, I mean, I think it, it kind of speaks back to, you know, being a green beret and having procedures in place and ways that you go about doing things. I can tell, that probably a detail-oriented job like that would fit yeah. him. Yeah, very much so. Especially going coming from working on an oil rig. So his job on an oil rig was a mud engineer. So he's basically responsible for all of the liquid and mud being poured down that that hole that's being dug in the ground for natural gas and for oil. 
I said to him one time, like, I'm like, it's just water and dirt. Like, what's the big deal? And he took me into the garage and he had like all these beakers and, and chemicals and things set up. And he says, he taught me about what viscosity means. And he taught me about how expensive the drill bits are and how, how the mud is actually, a, it's not just water and mud, it's a mixture of chemicals to ensure that, that the viscosity of the fluid allows the drill bits to work efficiently so you don't burn up the drill bits and so you can actually drill through different types of sediment and rock and he actually explained the science to behind it to me which fascinated me i mean i'm i'm an engineer by degree so i'm very detailed minded when it comes to that sort of thing but yeah he he loved it he worked out there for a decade and then got laid off towards the you know, towards the end of the shuttle program, we know like the manifest, you know, we went from anywhere between eight to 12 launches a year to half of that. So there just wasn't a need for as many workers. And then he went back to work in the oil field and ended up working for the rest of his career uh, on oil rigs. Did you guys stay in Florida or did you go back to Texas? We, we've always stayed uh, here. Um, he actually ended up moving to Tennessee and lived uh, just outside of Memphis, and he would drive to Texas for two weeks and then come home for two weeks. It was like a two-week on, two-week off. But, yeah, Florida, since uh, since 89, since roughly October of 1989, Florida's been home. And um, having lived here since I was basically 10, I'm 41 now, so 31 years. This is home 100%. I do love going back to Texas. I've gone to visit a mutual friend of ours in Dallas a few times, and I have some other friends in Dallas. So every time I go there, I want to spend like a few days. But every time I get on that plane to go to Dallas, there's an extra excitement about just going to going home to where I was born. So, but Florida is definitely the home state for sure. So, what was it like growing up on the Space Coast? You know, a lot of people don't know about our nation's space program. Um, you get, it's funny, like I gave uh, one of the most exciting missions in, in spaceflight history, Inspiration4, that we that SpaceX launched uh, just a couple of weeks ago now. There were people here working on buses that were rented from Orlando. We're talking an hour away that didn't know that the space shuttles weren't flying anymore. And we're like a decade removed from flying space shuttles. It's just crazy to see the disconnect. But growing up on the Space Coast, for me, honestly, like what a time to be alive, like to 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 see space shuttle launches on a regular basis. And of course, I my I was probably uh, exposed to it a lot more than other families because I had a, a parent that worked there. But during the height of the shuttle program, 15,000 people would drive north to the Space Center every day to work and go home 15,000 people. So it was like the entire community here, like you, you could not talk to a person in a restaurant, a grocery store, sporting event without, you know, the chance of them working on the space shuttle program. And so having the pride of not only that my dad worked out there, but um, getting to go out there on family days, seeing flight hardware up close, knowing it had been to space, like it was just, it was just neat. You know, I've always been fascinated with, with space and stars and, 
the planets and exploration. It's just, it's just neat. Um, even going back to the, uh, you know, the Apollo days, the fact that we've sent people to the moon. I still love it when, when I'm out there supporting launch and someone will, it never fails. Someone will randomly come up to me and say, Hey, so do you think we really went to the moon? And I'm like, as opposed to, um, a Hollywood set and they'll laugh and be like, yeah, I'm like, well, since then, you know, not only has America sent different satellites and observe observatories up there to, um, to map the moon in high def, but like the Japanese exploration agency has also done the same. And, Oh, look, Oh, look, there's the bottom half of the lunar lander. And Oh, look, there's tracks of the lunar rover and stuff. And we'll be like, well, all that can be CGI, you know, <laughs> it's just those people like in a lot of, it, honestly, like it just goes to show whether it's politics or space exploration. Like when someone right. believes something like, and then they ask you your, your thoughts and you share your first thought and then they challenge it. That's when the conversation ends. But, um, right. But and, and ultimately it doesn't matter what you're going to tell them. Anyway. Right. They already have their mind made up. Right. Absolutely. The thing, what I've learned so much about the space program is that it's not only cool that we get to go to space, but, but NASA as a whole, and the things that NASA has done and then their contractors that have been a part of have, have inspired millions of people to follow dreams. When I was, let me see, I was 18. And as I'm sitting here at this desk, having this conversation with you, got me thinking about it because of what I'm staring at. I'll show you in a second. My cousin would fly down, like he lives in Chicago, loves, loves America's space program would come down for every shuttle launch he could. And he would always stay at the Howard Johnson's, the Hojo on the beach because he would love to stay on the sixth floor the top suite. Um, cause he would meet all kinds of people during launch week. You'd have executives and astronauts and, and NASA administrators come down here. And, and that was a big hotel back then. And so, uh, when I was 18 and, and trying to figure out what I was going to do in my life, um, you know, it was between being a professional soccer player or figuring it out. He's like, Jared, you really need to come and meet some of these people because you never know, you know, who you might meet and how they might help you. He's like, you could work at the space center one day. And I was, I'm 18, not really driven to do much except to have fun, surf, play soccer. And that's about it. And so I finally humored his request one day. I'm like, fine, I'll come. And so I went and I, and I met him there. He's waiting for me in the lobby. We go upstairs. I wasn't there like two minutes before this older gentleman approached me, stuck his hand out. And man, I wish I could remember his name. <laughs> but he spoke to me for almost an hour and was asking me about kind of like how we started. Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Oh, your father works at the Space Center. Um, told him how I was going to school um, to become an engineer to work at the Space Center. And at the end of the conversation, he, he reached in his pocket and he handed me a business card. And when he handed me the card, it was like everything like paused for a minute. I was like staring at this card and it was like brilliant white. It was like beautiful white and had like these bold black letters on it with his name and his title. But the coolest thing on it was the NASA meatball logo that round blue nasa meatball with the red streak through it says nasa on it 
and it was it was raised off the card like it had texture to it and i'm like like it was a it was like a hero like wow moment like a superhero moment i remember he was like if there's ever anything i can do for you let me know and i was like oh yeah yeah, it'd be awesome. Thanks so much. But the card, the card, I was like, I went home and I took a tack. This is back when people had cork boards in their rooms. And I tacked that thing to the cork board and it became a why for me. It became um, a destination. Like my destination became my motivation. When I didn't want to study, I would see that card there. When I didn't want to go to school, I would see that card there. When I wanted to to give up and say, uh, this isn't for me, I would look at that card. Like literally it was in a, in a spot in my room that I had to walk past it every time I left. The destination ended up becoming something that I was just beyond passionate about to achieve. It was like, like a marathon. Um, I'm like, I had to keep the finish line in focus and through the hardest times where all hope was lost, I was able to overcome. And um, the day came where I got my own card with my own raised paint. And I've handed out hundreds of these cards that I happily buy and I'm proud. And I tell, I tell versions of that story to young men and young women. And I tell them, let your destination be your motivation. And anytime you have a setback, understand that it's not a setback, that it's a set up. Then I always end up sharing my favorite, my favorite, my absolute favorite Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans for good and not destruction, plans for hope and a future. And it's a solid reminder that whether you're, whether you fail the test, whether you've lost all motivation, whether, you know, some guy's broke up with his girlfriend or whatever's going on, having a difficult time at work, that if you just trust in your faith and in the process and you have a destination and you let it be your motivation that you can achieve anything. So. Yeah, man, that's really, that's like the, my wife would be super proud of me right now. It's like the fastest I've ever told that story. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the good news there is that you're right. You ended up in NASA. Yeah. But not without schooling and a, a road to, to actually get there. Yeah. So from playing soccer growing up into middle school and being like extremely competitive in high school, where did you finally decide to go to school and study and, and keep building, you know, those blocks, putting them together to ultimately get to where you wanted to be? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that starting, even starting with the gentleman that went out of his way to introduce himself to a kid, you know, I don't remember what I wore that day, but I'd be willing to bet that it wasn't anything that says, Hey, I'm motivated for a big career. You know, um, I, I had an opportunity to play soccer um, after high school. So I played, I had a two-year scholarship to play at our local community college, which was a feeder college for the University of Central Florida, go Knights. So that was really the path. I went and played soccer and that was a focus. And college, honestly, was a little bit secondary for me. I actually failed my first math course 
um, in college. Funny, a NASA guy, you know, I failed my first math course, but a big reason I failed that course was all about my perspective. Came down to like, I was still in the high school frame of mind, got there, didn't like teachers calling me out, didn't like being told what I had to do, like any normal 18 year old, now the millennials, which is probably even more difficult. But um, I failed that, I failed that course. I was a difficult person. And it was a defining moment in my life because I went back, I registered for the same course with the same teacher. But when I failed it, especially at the chance of losing scholarships, like understanding the weight of my decision and understanding the mess that I had potentially made, setting in motion a different path for my life that I didn't want to be a part of. I, I wanted the scholarship. I wanted the degree. I wanted the success. And it was like a solid slap upside the head by the Holy Spirit to say, get your crap together. And so I registered for that same class. I'll never forget walking into the first day of trigonometry for the second time. And my poor teacher, Miss Edgar, I'll never forget her. Like her head sunk. She was just like, oh God, not Jared again. And and I looked at her and I and I promised her, I said, Miss Edgar, it's going to be different this time. And she says, we'll see. And I was like, that's fair. Sat front row dead center, never missed a class, aced the class. And really that was like it, my mindset going forward. So not only did I commit to the dedication, I committed to building the relationship with her that built the trust in my ability to do the things I said I was going to do. And um, honestly, it was, it was following through on foundational skill sets that my dad had, had taught me as a young man, like Firm handshakes, look people in the eye, follow through with your commitments. Obviously, these are things that he had learned um, growing up by his own family. He came from a military family. His grandfather was, uh, was a doctor in the Army. His father was an orthopedic doctor in the Army. And then, of course, I shared he was Special Forces. So there was, there was just um, expectations of being respectful carrying yourself in a respectful manner, following through on your commitments and building relationships with your teammates around you. And so um, really focusing on every class I was in, choosing people that I could study with and then choosing people that I could get through senior projects with. And then when I got to the Space Center, um, surrounding myself with people like I'll never forget, man, my first job, I was working with two guys that literally worked on sending monkeys to space. Like that's how long they had been there. And I'm just like, like what an opportunity that I get, not that I have to work, that I get to work at the space center, right? Going back to perspective. That was what I touched on. Um, your perspective is everything. Like even going back to when we were talking about things we can do at home for our spouses, like how blessed are we to have incredible wives and kids and the fact that we would get to do laundry to help, get to cook dinner to help, get to take the kids to school to help. So even with the career that even in the tough times that we get to go to meetings, that we get to solve hard problems, that we get to work with difficult people, which I learned very early when you work with difficult people, if you can find a way and now it'd be almost like go to Facebook and see what they're interested in 
but I used to walk into people's cubes back in the days where you worked on Space Center. And I would look around their cube and I would look for things that I had in common with, even if it was one thing, whether it was a car or a picture of a golf club or someone was married or had kids. And I would try to connect with them on a personal level before I would even bring up work because it was an opportunity to let people know like, Hey, I actually care about who you are and what you, what you're interested in. I'm not just here to get what I want and then peace out. So, right. I, I think the, the word rapport gets thrown around a lot, but I think if you look at the actual meaning of it is having an investment in somebody else and truly caring about the outcome of whatever you're working on. Yeah. And I, I mean, what you just said is ultimately what led to my first job, uh, driveway conversation with a neighbor of, um, of a girl I was dating him intentionally talking with me and saying, Hey, so you're going to school. Uh, I heard you're going to school for engineering. Have you thought about working at the space center? I told him all about my dad and yeah, it's been a dream. And he said, well, have you ever thought about coming to work at the space center as a student? And I said, well, I never knew that was possible. And so he explained to me uh, the cooperative education program that United Space Alliance, who was the, who became the ground support contractor for shuttle had, he says, why don't you put a resume together and get it to me? Um, I went from, working in banquet halls, serving people food to uh, three weeks after that, getting a job at the Space Center because somebody took initiative to, um, to, to just see something special in me and, and bless me with a job. And ultimately it was the same, the same process of really just building relationships and loving people that led to my job at NASA because the guy that hired me at NASA and I had grown up in church with and he had followed my career and there happened to be a job that opened up in his branch that he was a manager of that he thought I would be perfect for based off of my career and my degree and those things. So yeah, getting to know people, building relationships with them and really just being intentional about those things just leads to greatness. So after community college, you go to UCF. Yeah. Finish your degree. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I know you have a very loving wife now who you've built an amazing family with, but at some point in time, the, the girlfriend worked out, kind of got you somewhat in the door. Yeah. It, it's crazy to look back and, and think of, I don't think anything's ever really a random connection. I think people are placed in your life for a reason. 100%. It's on you to capitalize mm -hmm. and, and capitalize is maybe the bad word to say because people would say that that's taking advantage of, but I don't, that's not what I'm trying to describe it as because it's a two way street. And I think just like you are now from working there for however many years, you do the same thing every single day. You see somebody who, shows interest is young who might be lost or might have their plan completely worked out and you're not giving them a hand up or a hand out. Yeah. You're just giving them a hand and saying, yeah, have you thought about this? Yeah, for sure. A gentleman who's older than me, but someone who's been a friend of mine for an eternity, like literally the majority of my adult life went through a dramatic change 
um, in his job and his life, something he had dedicated. He was in a job to dedicated his pretty much his entire life to and was let go because of a difference of opinion between him and the person that was running the business. And, and a week later, we had already had plans to have our friend over for dinner. And I was, you know, thinking about what I was going to say to him because I was just, my heart broke for him, you know, he walked in the door with all smiles, just like he always did. And, and uh, he came with some family with him. And so his family's mingling with my family. And I had a moment with him kind of off to the side. I said, Hey, I just wanted to tell you, I mean, I really had a chance to talk to you. I just want to say how sorry I am to hear about what's happened. I'm like, this is really unfortunate. And I'm like, and I said, are you doing all right? And he goes, Jared, I couldn't be better. And I was like, what? And he says, you have to understand how I'm, how I see this. And I was like, well, help me. Cause I'm like, you like, this was your focus your whole life. And now like, I understand that he's a man of faith. Like I'm understand what the, what the good book says. I understand that God's for you. And I know John Jeremiah 29, 11 and all the things he says, this didn't happen to me. This happened for me. And that entire perspective, right? When he shared, when he shared that with me in that moment, not only has that perspective had a profound impact on situations that I've had in my life going forward. I think about all of the hardships that I went through previously, even back to the girl that I was dating and actually engaged, engaged to, which, you know, she's happily married with kids. Like we we're friends on Facebook. Like there's no hard feelings there. Right. But in the time that I was with her, especially towards the end, it was, it was one of the pain, most painful moments of my entire life. Um, but it didn't happen to me. It happened for me because if it had not been for that relationship um, and others like it, I most definitely would not be in the position that I'm in. I mean, even, even one thing I haven't shared with you, like my father, I almost joined the military because I wanted to honor him and my grandfather and my great grandfather literally spent months talking to an army recruiter. The day came that the army recruiters at my house, literally paperwork's on the table. I pick up the pen. I'm like literally about to sign. And my dad reaches over and holds my hand, like stops me from like signing. And he says, don't do this for me. And I was like, in that moment, in that moment, man, like <laughs> you could almost I get emotional talking about it. But in that moment, like the love of a father to a son to see the struggle and to understand, like he knew how much I loved him. Like I was willing to take the step because I just wanted him to feel honored. And but he knew it wasn't my heart. He knew it wasn't my desire. And to stop me in that moment. Um, you know, to, to literally like take the pen out of my hand. Um, I think, you know, it's definitely the Holy Spirit just acting, like knowing that my, like the plans that were for me were so much bigger than that moment. And um, right, it 
even going through all that didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And so uh, it was difficult. And um, man, that perspective has been, it's been huge. But I think about even that first job, the, the girl I was with, I'm grateful for everything I learned in that relationship, because even the failures from that relationship helped me to be an even better spouse to my wife who I've been with for 18 years. Yeah, it's amazing how perspective can change everything in an instant. What did you start out as? Like, what was the first job? Yeah, my first job, I worked in design engineering. So the the prime ground support contract, um, United Space Alliance had, they took care of everything. So NASA's the oversight, but the actual like maintenance and preparation and integration of not only the space shuttle, but all of the facilities and infrastructure. So the vehicle assembly building that you would put the shuttle together in the mobile launch platform, you would put the shuttle on the crawler that drives the shuttle out to the launch pad, the launch pad itself, the liquid oxygen and the liquid hydrogen tanks that are used to fuel the space shuttle. Like that's what our United Space Alliance did. So my focus uh, people design. people have no clue on that stuff either. Oh, no people clue. just think, oh, NASA, that's that's what they do. Yeah, and I think that's where you know we'll get ahead to the story. But when you have other companies who are not used to being in that realm, specifically, like we'll get to SpaceX. Yeah, but when people are like, "What do you mean, like, how can base or you know Elon Musk right create his own company? Like that's what NASA does, You're right? Like, no, man, like." Yeah. If you do uh, just a tiny bit of research, which is why, like, you're perfect. For, you are the guy for this. So, like, you know, what what is NASA? If I had just one sentence, NASA is doing everything possible to reveal the unknown for the benefit of all humankind. Like, that's our... Yeesh. One, one cool thing a lot of people don't know about, like you should write this down and Google it later, NASA spinoffs. So the, NASA actually has a spinoff website and you can even request a NASA spinoff book that literally identifies every spinoff technology that's been created from NASA's mission. So what NASA does, like your cell phone, like is a tribute, like the amount of technology in this cell phone alone has come from going to the moon, taking people to space. Like it is the destination that has sparked the, um, the innovation. Right. Destination is the motivation I shared earlier. Well, destination is what creates the innovation um, that has created so many things that you and I use on a daily basis. And I wish I had like 30 of them to just rattle off to you right now. <laughs> but but I don't, you know, like the simplest things like Velcro. Like, oh, yeah. Right. Like, come on. Like, well, it's but, not called Velcro. But uh, a military guy. Hook right. mile tape. That's what you call it. <laughs> but yeah, you can go on the NASA spinoffs page and learn all about the things that NASA's created that people use all the time and continues to create. And that's that's exciting. 
Um, super exciting. Su- super, yeah, incredibly exciting. So I didn't mean to to derail no, the timeline. No, but so as a, a you know, what was I guess what did a junior or a new engineer Jared do? So um, I I created two dimensional and three dimensional drawings. Um, I was um, for the ground support equipment on the liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen sides of the house. So at this at the launch pad, so the space shuttle external tank, the big orange tank that you would see on the back side of the space shuttle has a giant hydrogen tank on the bottom and then um, a smaller um, oxygen tank on the top. And it's basically twice as much hydrogen as oxygen. Hydrogen is, uh, or liquid hydrogen is minus 423 degrees Fahrenheit. And liquid liquid oxygen is minus 296 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's super cold. Like if my coffee cup was full of that like you could fill it and not only would it freeze the outside instantly um but it would boil off like almost instantly it would just be like one giant cloud not to mention like there's a chance depending on what cryo i put in there like it just may crumble under the extreme cold so when you deal with cryogenics um you have double walled pipeline that goes from the storage tank um, cross country to the launch pad through the mobile launcher itself up to the interface country cross country means like, so the, um, we call them cross cross country pipeline. So it's not like from here to California. It's from like, it's like a hundred yards away, like wherever the holding areas, wherever the holding areas are. So to the interfaces of the shuttle and then, um, you actually would fill the external tank, like backfill it through the space shuttle to get into the tank. And then you would have the chill down. You'd have to make sure that there isn't um, ice forming in places. You'd have to have, I would say, um, sensors in places to make sure there's no leaks. Um, There's so much to it. So my job was to make sure I worked with a group of guys. It was our job to make sure that that the liquid liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen lines, the cryogenic lines and infrastructure was just um worked that it worked and worked effortlessly and efficiently and so because it's florida and it's right on the beach like we live in a salt environment and so in a purely salt environment you know almost 100 percent humidity all the time uh things rust a lot and things break a lot so there's a lot of like preventative maintenance that has to be done and a lot of parts, valves, piping, all sorts of things, sensors uh, that have to be replaced. And so that was the focus of that first job was just ma- maintaining ground support equipment. So I went. So I never, never understood as like of just the environment of Florida. Yeah. And the things that you described it was like. Yeah. I'm sure it's the best place to do it, but why? <laughs> it's good. It's a great place to be, but humidity and salt make um make it very difficult um even to this day for spacex like you launch and then the majority of your time when you're not launching is spent maintaining your pad infrastructure 
because like even my smoker, right? I got this great smoker. Funny enough, that's a great story. My dad had a welder on his one of his rigs make it for him like 50 years ago. It's made out of steel casing that you would put in the ground after you drill a hole uh, at the oil rig. It's quarter inch steel, three feet long by two feet cylindrical. And um, I actually made it into a wood pellet smoker. It's pretty awesome. But um, I call it the Franken smoker. But I've refinished that smoker at least eight times. And I mean, like strip everything like, oh, this time it's never going to rust. I'm going to put this sealant on it. But man, it's Florida. I don't care how good you think you are. Like rust will find a way. <clears throat> so, yeah, I did that for seven years uh, with United Space Alliance. And then, um, yeah, a gentleman that, that I went to church with called me up, funny enough, on the day that I got my first ever employee of the month. So I got an employee of the month from we were making a transition from 2D CAD to 3D CAD. And a lot of our Apollo era engineers were pushing back. They're like, it took us forever to learn how to do this software. And now you want us to do this one. And it was easy to me because I had just gone to school for it. And I'm like, this is simple. So I actually created a five, um, five, five phase tutorial. So I created like five booklets that you could like literally hand an elementary school child and they could follow to, um, to draw shape and then extrude the shape and then mold the shape to make a part and then make multiple parts to put um, an assembly together and then how to take that assembly and make drawings out of the assembly. And um, so, yeah, they gave me a uh, play of the month for that. And that afternoon I got back to my desk literally is the moment I was thinking this may be the greatest day in my career. The phone rang and it was the gentleman who called and said, Hey, I have an opportunity for you. I think it'd be great for it. And that's really when the NASA career started. I went and worked, uh, went from, I went from focusing on one area of ground support equipment to being responsible for all of the ground support equipment on the space station program. And it was amazing, super fun. But yeah. How, how old were you then? I was 27. 27. That seems incredible. It was, it was like, talk about the craziest learning curve ever. But um, just to, just to give God some more kudos, man. Um, you know, I, Emily was pregnant at the time. She was um, going to deliver either end of December or beginning of January. I was the only one with a full-time job at the time. She was finishing her degree at UCF. And so there was a little bit concern, you know, of additional costs of having a child, but, you know, from engineer, right? Engineer mind, how much is it, how much is a child going to cost me? And I had somewhere worked out, you know, 20 plan on like 20 K a year. And what, you know, my, my, my pay increase from United Space Alliance to NASA was 20 K four months, actually three months before my wife gave birth. So I don't know, man, you know, some people would be like, that's total coincidence. Uh, I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that. So yeah, I've been with NASA actually October 1st, just, uh, 
three days ago was my NASA anniversary. Just celebrated 14 years with NASA, 21 years total uh, at the Space Center. So, doing the whole thing, the same thing the entire time. Oh no! Um, so I did the same thing at USA, United Space Alliance, for seven years. But since I've been with NASA in 14 years, um, I've probably had six different jobs. Um, a lot of it focused, heavily focused on my background. And um, because we are a launch site, um, focusing on um, what it takes to run a launch site, focusing on um, ground support equipment, what launch providers need. And then um, really, the la I would say the last eight years especially have, have focused heavily on, on um, commercial partners, like trying to bring commercial companies to the space center that aren't government to launch. And then the last three years, um, I have been the, um, I worked well, I worked for our center director for a year, which was super awesome. That led to an opportunity to work in our, um, our spaceport operations organization where I became a customer liaison for, um, some NASA programs where it was like my job to help them get support from our NASA contractors to do the work that they needed to do. And that experience um, primed me for the role, my favorite role I've had, honestly, since I've worked at NASA, which is the uh, customer liaison to SpaceX. So I'm a NASA, NASA government civil servant, but my day job is to, um, to be the liaison for SpaceX. So literally, Every, every, for all their launches, um, I'm responsible for writing agreements so they can get the support they need from fuels to security support, to lab support, to lifting and handling support. I mean, you name it, anything they need. So I write those agreements. Um, and then the other half of that is anything they're doing with development. So all their new facilities that they want to build for, for launch vehicle processing or office space or any of that, I help them with all their permits for environmental dig permits, utility locates, infrastructure upgrades, like, man, it's, and obviously SpaceX, you know, you can just go online and or on their Instagram or whatever. They're without a doubt, like the most dynamic, fast moving aerospace company in the world. They launch more than anyone else. They, um, in the last year they became, or last year and a half, they not only became the first commercial company to launch U.S. astronauts, NASA astronauts on a commercial rocket. But just a couple of weeks ago, they became the first commercial company to launch civilian civilians on a commercial rocket to space. So off the same pad that we launched Neil Buzz to the moon on, which is super awesome. So pad 39A launched Apollo 11 and launched STS-1. Uh, Bob, uh, uh, John Young, Bob Crippen on uh, the Space Shuttle Columbia launched STS-135. So first shuttle launch, last shuttle launch, and now these two first commercial NASA astronauts and first commercial civilian. So it's without a doubt the most historic launch pad um, at the center and to be a part of it, man, it's just been such an incredible ride so i'm sure i'm not am i boring, am I boring you yet man like, no i mean like, man I, like, I just i just think of like you know i was a kid from montana and 
all, all I knew of space was like what you see in movies. Like, yeah. I didn't, you know, I, I would look at like, you know, magazines that would come and you would see like space camp and stuff. And I was always like, ah, that's, I would never go do that. I have other things that I would right. rather do with my summers. Yeah. All the way to NASA. And I think, well, not so, not so much NASA, but SpaceX and the first NASA uh, astronauts that they put up, they're going to the space station, correct? Yeah. To the latest launch, which is for civilians that they put up in space, yeah. all continuing building on one another, not just with the technology that they're using, but their overall missions. Yeah. Um, so I guess like forecasting it the best way that you can, but like what, what is, what is SpaceX building towards? Um, so ultimately I would say our, our nation space program, NASA, our focus is going back to the moon and on to Mars. So, um, even some pretty heavy the, stuff. Yeah. Going, well, you know, I mean, if you're into, if you're into our space, I would say space exploration history, you know, going to the moon, what incredible achievement, what incredible achievement when we didn't even really have like these guys are using slide rules and pencil and paper to do these calculations. You know, they weren't running, you know, they weren't running algorithms using MathCAD and other things like that. Like, it's just unreal. Um, but there's so, man, there's so much to be learned still. Um, obviously there's, there's so much that we would love to figure out cures for cancer. Um, God, I can't, you know, how do we, like, what can we learn not only in space, but what could we possibly learn on another planet? And um, so NASA, being that their focus is to going first going back to the moon, um, SpaceX, um, let me say it, the program to go back to the moon and onto Mars is called the Artemis program. And um, Artemis 3, so Artemis 1 is scheduled to launch late this year early next year you um there will be the first launch of nasa's space launch system which is our new rocket shuttle derive you can write that down and go look at it and compare it it looks like it kind of looks like the space shuttle integrated assembly if you take the space shuttle away put the engines on the bottom of the orange tank and then put a second um um, a second stage on top of that orange tank with a capsule on top. You'll see what I mean when you see it. But as part of the Artemis program, we need a lander. And uh, SpaceX actually won the award for the new lunar lander, which will be used uh, for Artemis 3. Artemis 1 is just to launch, send the capsule further than any capsule has ever been sent in the history of space travel. Um, bring it back. Artemis 2 is to almost duplicate the mission with astronauts in it. So astronauts will then fly further out um, beyond the moon and back because you're testing capabilities. You're, you're also testing, um, you know, our ability to sustain um, living in space for long durations, which a lot of people don't know this, but the space station has been in space over 20 years so think about it. anyone who's 20 years old or younger literally has never lived a day on this earth that someone hasn't been living in space. That's crazy to think about. 
and they've been living in space, learning how to grow their own food in space, learning how to get exercise in space, learning how to recycle water in space, learning how to do medical procedures in space. Because when we go to Mars, it takes days to get to the moon. But when we go to Mars, it takes like nine to 10 months in current technology, nine to 10 months of, of space flight. So there's a whole lot that can go down in nine to 10 months. So, um, so SpaceX, um, Elon's been very vocal about how he wants to be a, a multi-planet species. And so his focus is to get to Mars, um, as is NASA's ultimate goal is to get to Mars. Does that create an issue like competing? So competition's good, but it's not really, it's not really competition right now because especially because Elon um, was anticipating the need, honestly, um, for landers and need for large vehicles to take heavy payloads to space, which is why he's developing the Starship program. And so by him doing all this in South Texas, like that's, that's where Starbase is. That's where he's been launching stuff and blowing stuff up. But then that's where he was launching stuff and landing stuff. And now he's creating the first orbital vehicle that he plans to launch later this year, like incredible. And of course, um, showing the progress of there ultimately is what helped him win the lunar lander contract. So now it's not just SpaceX and NASA trying to, they're not racing each other, they're partners. So the government's actually funding development of the Starship, um, spaceship because that's what's going to be our lunar lander so it's it's exciting and honestly um man we're better together right like that's going back to the teams thing one of the first things we talked about like if we can get all the the best people together from all sides um we can achieve great things man so whether it's an you know, stopping an asteroid coming towards earth or expanding species to the moon or Mars. Like I'm all about it. I'm all about, Hey, let's do this together. Well, you know, SpaceX, you bring your best NASA, you bring your best blue origin. You bring your best United launch Alliance. You bring your best. Like it's to me, nothing but good can come from it. And even when there is competition, it's kind of like, Android pushing Apple and Apple pushing Android, right? Like without competition, you know, growth would be stunted. So, right. Yeah. All right. Let me, what, what's up with the, all these celebrities now that are just super rich people who get the rocks off, just going to space. Oh and man. What, what is that? What, what are they actually doing? Just a very expensive, High airplane ride? Yeah. Um, kind of like um, air travel. You know, air travel used to be something no, only the rich could do because it was so expensive. And now Southwest Airlines, $49 one-way ticket, you know. Space flight will never be there. But it's not, it's not far-fetched to believe that it couldn't possibly get close to it one day. I mean, would you go to space if someone said, hey, five grand 
take you to space. Absolutely. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, because to me, like, you know, space isn't just about doing science. Like you could go and look at Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic's, um, you know, space tourism, like how incredible and, or um, Jeff Bezos, you know, going up on their new Shepard rocket. And ultimately, you know, you have a vehicle with this tiny capsule on top of my highlighter would be my rocket. So the vehicle is pushing this capsule to space and then the capsule separates. But ultimately what's happening is it's just going up and it's coming down. So they're right about at apogee at that point where it stops going up and then coming back down. That's where you're getting your, your, your weightlessness. Of course you could, you know, you can go pay for a flight on the zero G plane and it goes out there and flies in parabolas and you can get your weightlessness there. I mean, I would probably puke everywhere, but, um, <laughs> but going to space, right? Like you're in space, like you can legit see the curvature of the earth. Like, man, I would, I would do it. I would do it in a second. People have asked me like, would you go? I was like, yeah, I'd put those, seasickness patches behind my ears and I would go for it and man, I would do it in a second. Um, and honestly, like right now I want to say, you know, to go I, last time I looked, whatever, going on either Virgin Galactic's, um, stars, uh, what are they called? Uh, spaceship one or, um, or uh, new shepherds, uh, rocket, um, something like 250,000 per seat is what they're charging. So I don't know. sounds like I know how much it costs to launch a rocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so to me, that seems kind of reasonable. Um, I now granted those aren't going, there's a big difference between space, like space is anything past the Carmen line, which is whatever, 200, whatever. I forget how many miles. I don't know. I'd have to Google that. I should know that. It's like, it's an altitude thing, but there's a difference between going to space and going in orbit in order to reach orbit as in go to space and you're actually going around the earth. You have to accelerate a spacecraft at a minimum 17,500 miles per hour to maintain your orbit. So not only then, when you bring like the Dragon capsule, when they deorbit, so they, they go, they're in space, they're orbiting, and um, then they come home, they have a deorbit burn, they got these little thrusters on their capsule that, that uh, fire for you know, a period of minutes and bring it closer to earth, but then how gravity takes over. And so it's increasing speed. The capsule will reach speeds over 20,000 miles an hour. And the outside surface of that capsule will reach temperatures hotter than the sun. It's kind of a violent environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot more danger. So when you think about how, what, not to take away from what Richard Branson and, and those three crewmates did or what um, 
you know, Jeff Bezos and his brother and, and the other two people did on that because it was awesome and it was historic and it showed that, you know, people like you and me could go and pay our, pay our seed money and, and take a flight. But to do what SpaceX is doing, especially like what the Inspiration4 crew did, they actually flew higher. They flew to a higher orbit than the space station is currently flying now. To go there and to live, four people living together for three days in space, um, in a space like if you took the seats out of a minivan, I think you'd have more space in there than they had in their capsule. Um, and then to come home safely, land in the ocean, man, it's it's awesome. You know, all I'm thinking about from every movie that I've watched yeah. and everything else, well, where are these people going to the bathroom at? Oh, dude, it's uh, a great question. When you're loaded, when you're loaded and you're sitting on the launch pad and you're there for a while, um, everyone has a diaper just in case they have to pee. That goes back probably to when Alan Shepard, <laughs> uh, when Alan Shepard went to space, because obviously he was the first person to space. John Glenn was the first to orbit, but um, Alan Shepard was on the pad. You know, he had to go, and so he went, and just it was all captured in his suit. But um, on the space station, on the space shuttle. Um, it's basically a vacuum system um, that prevents things from floating around. <laughs> right. The um, we're just living in it. Yeah, I actually I don't have a good answer for the Dragon. Um, I know what the Dragon spacecraft requires from a support standpoint, and I've been around plenty of them, but. Um, I actually do have a desire, um, and I believe it'll probably happen this year at some point to go and maybe sit in one, see the inside of one, and ask questions like that. I'm, I'm sure I could probably even Google how do they go to the bathroom on Dragon, and, and I'm sure there's. I'm thinking it's got to be like almost like a shower curtain type thing that gives you some privacy, but it's got to be somewhat of the same vacuum type technology that they're using. Right. Yeah. The other thing is, so we talked about the speed and heat of not just re-entry, but of landing. Yeah. And how are they getting it so they're able now to use them again? So, yeah, SpaceX is all about reusability. And, you know, even NASA was, like, during the shuttle program. Uh, obviously, we had four orbiters. Uh, four, that's what you call That's what we call the space shuttle. Um, and then, um, the solid rocket boosters, like we would recover those in the ocean, bring those back, take them apart, clean them up, ship them back to Utah where they would get filled with solid propellant and then ship back. We would sack them and reuse them. Um, as far as, um, the capsule goes, has a lot to do with obviously, um, getting the capsule back picking or choosing materials that can be dried out and reused um, or replaced like the space shuttle had tiles, thermal tiles that you could replace and put back on. And so really at the end of the day, um, each capsule will have a life, will have a lifespan just like, um, 
just like the boosters themselves will have a lifespan. Like you can't just launch them indefinitely, but each booster SpaceX flies will have, I don't know, I'll have to go back and look. I actually don't know that off the top of my head, but let's just say, let's just say 30 launches, 30 launches per booster, just like each shuttle, each space shuttle was designed, I think for a hundred missions. And I think they all did around 30 or so just requesting me to just approve all their 99 cent purchases on their apps. But I, go out there and I'll say, I literally, I always say, okay, what have you done to contribute to the house today? I it's guess that's a great, a great transition is that not only are you like the go-to guy for any space related thing, but like we barely touched upon your family. And what your family means to you and your relationship with Emily. And just like you just told me, being a girl dad, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just like taking it all in. You know, when I was young, like I, I don't know, man. I'm not your typical engineer because I'm an extrovert. I would say most, most engineers are introverts. Um, and I would say I'm not your, I'm not your typical guy either. And I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. I'm, I'm thankful for who God made me to be. Um, but from a young age, like I, I couldn't wait to be married. It's always been inherently in me to honor people. Like I love doing things for people. I love, like, I love loving people. Like, it's just like, and really love is, is an emotion it's, it's, it's in us. It's who we are from the moment that we're taken from our mother's womb. It's the first thing that the doctor does is take a child and put and place them on the mother's chest, right? Like, like connection, we desire connection and, um, and being, being a husband, being a dad, um, as much as I love being, as much as I love working for NASA and telling people, you know, what I get to do for my career, um, make no mistake that there is nothing that I cherish more in my life than being um, a husband, a father, and giving God the glory for getting to do both of those. First and foremost, above everything else. It's a, it's a privilege and an honor to get to do that. Um, and so, um, you know, going through, uh, the things that didn't happen to me that happened for me that ultimately led to, um, to Emily and, uh, the girls, like I think about those paths and I love sharing, you know, the story of how, how I got there and then how, um, how we sustain today, like how we, how we operate as a husband and wife, how we make time for one another, how we're intentional about helping each other out, how we're intentional about having a unified front as parents. Um, even when we have a disagreement, doing those behind closed doors so we don't um, disagree in front of our kids, how we never raise our voices, like how we always talk things out, how we don't go to bed angry. Like, man, I could go on and on. Um, Are those learned? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Dude, no one, the only thing we inherently know how to do when we're born is, is breathe, breathe and blink. That's about it. Fear, fear is a taught behavior. Um, in fact, 
almost all behaviors are taught. Everyone has a different personality, but how they, but how they interact and what they do is totally, um, is totally based on, I would say, what outside influences you allow to be the focus of your, of your mind. Like, um, and when it comes to like, let's just say being a husband, um, what makes me a great husband is choosing my community around me that will sharpen me. Like, like my best friend, Chris, we talk pretty much every day. And when I have hard days about being a dad and I want to choke my kids out, I call him and funny enough, like, I remember I'll never forget one time in particular, I was like, my, my oldest was like four. And man, she's like the most strong-willed child ever. Like, man, you can't win. I mean, just, she broke me down, man. And I was like at a loss. And I called him and I'm like, dude, I'm failing as a father. This child will not listen to me. Like, I'm parenting out of love. Like, I grew up in a house. You just got beat. You know, you got your butt spanked when you didn't listen. And my wife and I chose to parent out of love. I've spanked my kids. You know, I, I'm not against spanking. I've done it, but, um, I do my best to parent out of love and try to help my kids feel the weight of their bad decisions and let their own guilt drive the better decisions. And, um, I remember calling him though and complaining about how strong willed she was and parenting is hard. And he goes, you know what, man, God made her to be strong willed. And one day, you are going to be so grateful she's so strong-willed because there's going to be so mo- so many moments in her life that because she is strong-willed, she will be able to get through them effortlessly. And I was like, man, how about that for perspective? My perspective was completely different, but having someone sharpen me, someone share a completely different perspective, just like with marriage, you know, like talking, talking to the same guy. And he has come to me with, with similar things where, um, like the perspective of, I get to do that. Like, you know, how there's been times I'll call and be like, dude, um, I'm like, can you go golfing Friday? No, I gotta, gotta, I have all these things that I get to do. And I was like, man, you always say that. And, and he's like, but even though it's, it's hard and I don't want to tell you, no, I want to hang out with my friends. It's, it's the perspective that you have to have to keep your mind right. Because if you, if you, um, have a fear of missing out, right. Constantly, um, or you're constantly comparing your marriage or how you parent or your kids to others, it will steal your joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And that's a constant reminder I have to have. And so my wife and I, work very hard at our marriage. Every day is new. Every day is dynamic. Every day brings its own challenges. And, uh, and man, funny enough, the devotion that I read today focused just on that. It was like, God says, cast your cares upon him. It also says, focus on the troubles of today because tomorrow will bring its own troubles. So don't, don't worry about basically the things. Don't worry about things that haven't happened yet. Don't worry about things down the road. Just live your best life now 
take care of the things now that you can and um, address those things when they come. So yeah, man, 18 years, we've been together 20 years total, two girls, 11 and 13. And um, yeah, life's a blessing. It's crazy to see how much they've grown and to also get feedback from people, um, especially when they've been at somebody's house, when they've been at somebody's house and then I'll go to pick them up and they'll be like, oh my God, your kids are the most respectful and the most well-behaved kids we've ever had here. And I'm like, and my first response is, well, I'm glad they are that way for you. <laughs> yeah, you should see them at home. Right. But right, if there's at the end of the day, I know there will be a time when I'm not going to be there every day. And there will be a time when I'm not there anymore. Like they'll have to see me again in heaven. And which is why I'm like Galatians uh, 6, 9 says, never grow tired of doing what's good. For just at the right time, the Lord will bring a harvest of blessing. And I have to like never get tired of doing what's good. Like that's another thing. And it's like, even as a husband or a, or a dad or a coworker or whatever, like when, dude, my golf swing, like spend so much time doing the hard things. You're just like, man. But you have a destination in mind. You have an idea of what you want to get to. And um, just knowing that the blessings will come. Like you can't grow tired. Just like when you teach your kids to say thank you. You're like, will they ever get it? And then you hear that first kink you and you're like, they said it. Oh, my God. And they understood the context of why they should say it. I almost... Uh, Dude, I almost broke down like a baby two months ago. I was picking up my daughter from, um, they have their youth church on Tuesday night. And um, there was a young lady who's actually their school teacher. She's 26. And she also serves a church for the youth church. And she had walked Liana out to the car. And this was right before school started. And I was like, hey, um, Super excited for school to start. Kids love you. We love you. It's going to be great. And, um, you know, I was like, but how are things going? And she shared, she shared some troubles that she was going through. And um, there was like a short pause. And my 13-year-old daughter's like, can I pray for you? And I was like, it's like the first time I had ever witnessed like a selfless act of her like observing something somebody else was going through and her just having like a genuine desire to bring her hope. And I was like, man, I'm like, you don't have to win all the time. It's like golf, you know, those days, especially someone as great as you, right? Like you could just have an, an awful day. Like you just, God, do I even know how to hit a ball anymore? But then all of a sudden you like, you find that position at the top or the rotation and you find the center of the club face, you're like, finally, you know, finally been looking for that one all day. Yep. Never grow tired of doing what's good because the harvest will come. <laughs> but yes, there you have it. Yes, dude. You, you said, is it learned as all that stuff learned? It is man. And it goes back to the first thing we said, 
iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. And, and, um, we have to care about our community. We have to care about our people. We have to care about our wife and our kids and loving people on purpose. And, um, especially today, man, like nowadays I say like today, like our nation, our world is just broken. Everyone's so broken, man. And the worst part of it is people take others' brokenness and actually feel better about themselves because people that they're looking at are broken instead of, instead of going to help them. And that's, that's just, that's like my prayer every day. And I'm like, Lord, just, we need a heart change. And I know I brought that up at some point in our talk today. We need a heart change. Like we all need a heart change of how we can be more for people and help people. Um, even some, you know, your background, people who've gone and served and coming home with PTSD and people just imagine, oh, there's the VA clinic. They'll be fine. Just go there. Like there's a guy that I work with who did six tours as a, um, I want to say he was a pararescue. I'm trying to think, but dude, this guy, this guy killed a lot of people. This guy's seen a lot of darkness, like bad alcoholic, like that he had to mask all his pain. And I met him through a friend at the space center and we started up a friendship and he would, I, you know, would witness to him and reach out to him and encourage him to go and, um, and get help. But obviously understanding like my reach was only like, just getting to know him was only so far, but I never, I never stopped like trying to just either give him scripture or pray with him or read a devotion with him or whatever. And he went and went to a couple, like he went to a rehab center and went to the VA and got help and all these things. But then his, his ex-girlfriend actually invited him to a church service over in Tampa where at the end of the sermon, the pastor like, like had a feeling that someone was there dealing with specific things he was dealing with and was just saying it. And he's like, I don't know if this is you. If it is, like, I'm just, I'm begging you to come down to the front. Just let us pray for you. And dude, he stood up, walked down to the front and like the pastor and three people like literally just embraced him and prayed for him. And He's telling me this story and he actually sent me the video and he goes, dude, I was healed. He's like, these people were like speaking in tongues, which it's kind of crazy. Like I, even as a Christian believer, I still struggle, like trying to understand what that means. He's like, it sounded like they were speaking Latin, but all I heard was English. All I heard them was like speaking to me and like praying healing over me and praying for addiction to go and for chains to be broken. He's like, in that moment, he's like, I literally felt healed. And, um, and that was, that was like two months ago, cold Turkey hasn't had a drink has just living his life, newfound love for life. Like, and it wouldn't come if it hasn't. And I'm, I'm certainly not responsible for that not even close, but I'm honored to have been part of the story. I'm honored to have acknowledged the fact that a friend needed help. And even if it was at an inopportune time that I acknowledged he needed help and just, even if it was simple, something as simple as just encouragement, 
Um, and really doing all those things, man, like it's, it's what makes you a good, a good friend, a good father, a good husband, all the things, man. Yeah. Well, good, absolutely. Yeah. Giving people absolutely, heaven, man. man. Giving people heaven. Yeah. Very true. And man, like I, I thank you not just for the time today, but for you being you and the friend that you are, uh, you know, it, it means the world to me and not just when we talk or, or how we talk or whatever we talk about. I think it's most important to me that, that like you hear like the role model that you are and that's just not as a father or a husband or a professional or you know a follower of christ but it's it's all of them together and i thank you for being in my life because i'm am i'm a heck of a lot more better off with you in it thank you brother thank you man i feel i feel the same way